Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. Now, in season two, The Cannamom Show continues on its mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Go make yourself a cup of tea, or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Chip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again today. Uh, so Dave, you know how I like to say that The Cannamom Show is a local podcast with national appeal? Yes, I do know about <laughs> that distinction. So, you know, we are tell. quite popular in Boston, like you would expect, but guess where we are? Actually, you will never guess where we are also very popular. Mm, Sweden. No. <laughs> okay. You're right. I'm never going to guess. Um, Coffeeville, Kansas. Mm. Coffeeville is famous for the Dalton gang bank robbery in 1892. So whoever you are out there listening to me consistently... Thank you. Yeah. And get in, <laughs> um, touch, and get in touch with the Cannabis Show. Let, let us know what's going on in Coffeeville, Kansas. Okay. Yeah. And before we begin, I just want to thank Cannabis Creative for sponsoring today's show. Cannabis Creative has decades of experience in web design and development, SEO, SEM branding, social media marketing, and contact strategy. Their Boston-based team is connected with the brightest minds in the cannabis industry. So thank you, Cannabis Creative, today. And Dave, you know, yeah. March is Women's Month. I know. I imagine you'll be talking about it a lot throughout the month. Perhaps. Well, we talk about it every day, but you know, <laughs> I like the obituaries too. So oh, yeah. I just wanted to give a shout out to Susan Feingold, who passed away at the age of 95. Susan Feingold was just featured in the New York Times because she helped create a model for the National Head Start Program. 
caregivers and caregiving. That's also my thing. You know that. Do you only look at the Jewish people who passed away? Or do you look at the others also? <laughs> oh, well, I have another one today because it's cannabis um, related, sadly. Yeah. Funny whaler. Mm-hmm. Farmers of the whalers, you know, going to join mm-hmm. Marley and Tosh. And he was in the, I also read his obituary today. So I don't think he's Jewish. Although okay. I did see a picture of him with like a um, cross, a star and like a big cannabis leaf. Covering all the bases there, which is good. <laughs> That's what we like about him. Okay, so let's get to today's guest. Today's guest is a financial institution lawyer who holds both an MBA and a JD. So she finds herself at the intersection of multiple male-dominated industries. Although never really a a cannabis consumer, she spent a decade trying to heal her broken knee until her father, a neurologist, suggested she try cannabis. So she packed her bags and journeyed from Georgia to California to try an alternative treatment and regained her health. She was sold. Now she is using her unique professional skill set to help those of us working in cannabis. Here today to share her own health story, explain how a financial institution lawyer found her purpose in cannabis, and what she sees as the future of legal payment processing at her firm. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Ashley Elsner, co founder and COO Artery Pay. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much, Joyce. That was a great introduction. You deserve it. You have a lot of stuff going on. So let's see. Let's just start with your basic, your health story. Like, so people get a foundation of how you got here and because you're doing amazing things. And I just want to know, you just want to know where you came from so they can see how you, where you've come. Absolutely. So I'm actually originally from Georgia, which is where my family still is. I'm blessed that they're all still with me. And when I was in New York, living and working there at a law firm, I had a really catastrophic injury. It was a tibial plateau fracture that was a Schatzker 5. That's a very bad break. It basically shattered my knee. And how did you do that? Were you an athlete? What were you doing? (laughs) Did you just fall? (laughs) I was doing doing intramural like flag football. There wasn't supposed to be any contact. I'm sure it was accidental, but you know, sometimes things happen. People fall a weird way. I mean, us less athletic and more uncoordinated people, you know, law firms (laughs) against law firms, like what are you going to do? We're not exactly the most coordinated people. <laughs> All right. So um, they are, that's oh. quite an injury. Okay. So you've hurt yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so it was a very bad injury where someone broke my knee during the course of a game. And, and I ended up actually with an almost complete severing of the nerve to my lower leg. And so ended up with tissue death, ended up with death in the the tendons as well. I developed compartment syndrome, which is an extremely nasty complication for any type of orthopedic injury, which basically causes swelling, but there's nowhere for the swelling to go. And so they actually have to open up your leg and put drains into it. And I had drains in my leg for a number of weeks before they could even actually work on my knee. So you're basically, um, you're incapacitated, seriously incapacitated by this injury. How, yes. You were young. You were in your 20s, right? How old are you? Yes, yeah, so I was 23. And this oh, incident- really young. Oh, you just started. Yeah. and Bad I, law firm. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not their fault. This was an intramural program. You know, we- it was, uh, you know, I'm, again, like you don't expect this level of injury in intramural play. It's not like any of us are varsity athletes. So it's not, 
It was not something that was expected and certainly not something that was intended, but I ended up with foot drop. You know, I I nearly died from the incident. They almost had to amputate my leg. I had a number of surgeries to try to correct the foot drop, which is, it's basically an issue where it's a disability that causes you to be unable to lift and dorsiflex your foot. So you basically have a dead foot. Does it feel like it's dangling or something? Yeah. Or, and wow. yeah. And basically the treatments for that at the time were an AFO brace, which is an extremely ugly, unpleasant thing for a young lady to have to deal with. And um, high heels. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was basically done, done from that moment on anyways. No, that's good. Um, it's, it's, they're, they're bad. I only wear flats too. So it's, that's actually better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it is better. It's something that definitely made me feel defeminized, especially in the corporate world. You know, I'm working in Austin. It's a she-she silk stocking firm. And I certainly felt very- That's um, an interesting side. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. So I I mean, I was a lawyer too. And there there were some judges that still wanted, I mean, I'm in Massachusetts, but there were some judges who still expected you to wear skirts. And the women I knew always dressed up like the high heel thing. So, because- Yeah, that's, I hadn't even thought about that professionally. Okay, keep going. Yeah, certainly at the time, there was an understanding in New York in the financial space and particularly in, in legal services to financial services that you dress the part, right? You dress like a banker, basically. And, and you know, of course, walking in these hideous braces and things like that, you know, that's, you know, a, a totally another side. Yeah, maybe it's superficial, but the fact is it does impact your career. It totally does. Like, oh, absolutely. Like you're, like you're starting the deficit anyway. So you're a woman in a male dominated career and you're very young and now you're injured and you can't even like, use the power. you can't even like use the power of the pretty because you're feeling kind of bad. That's re- Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. It was, it was challenging. And so, you know, yeah. So so from that point, right, so, so, you know, you're, so you're, you're quite injured. So, you, but you're still working at the law firm, right? You're still working and going. I was. Yeah, um, okay. I actually had to continue to work there because I needed to maintain my insurance. This was before the days of Obamacare. I've actually been dealing with this issue for 15 years. I've been disabled for 15 years, and you know, I am much, much better now. Much healthier. Much more in tune with my body. Much more mobile. Okay. Yes, but there are some things I'll never do again, like dancing. And again, think about a 23-year-old in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> no dancing, no athletics. I couldn't even swim because no the, swimming. The t- wow. Yeah. And the tendon transfer in order to allow me to be able to walk again, you know, that really I have to be very careful because I actually only have one working tendon left, and that's the one that got transferred to the top of my foot to help me dorsiflex. So if I stretch that out by either wearing high heels or pointing my toe when I'm swimming, I am basically back to having foot drop again. So like full foot drop. I still can't yeah. really go all the way back, but but you no, have the mobility. So, so what? So, so you're working, and you're are they putting on your? You know, I hear this often the story of women who are injured or hurt and go on down the line of, you know, very um, potent medications to keep the pain away. But yeah, they, it's just not, it's not um, helping them their personality. It's helping you know, it's helping them feel worse about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So that was another issue. I actually ended up with a permanent pain syndrome called complex regional pain syndrome type two. Back in the day, it was called RSD, regional sympathetic dystrophy. And that is a pain management nightmare. It's a neuropathic pain disorder. It progresses. It does not regress. It's very difficult to control. And the medications that are on the market do a, pardon my French, a pretty half-assed job. And yes, like you say, you know, this is back in 2006. They're throwing everything at the problem they can think of. And, you know, this is not the doctor's fault. There has been 
not particularly good research. There's been some preliminary research done now, but really pain management has not been a focus of research for a very long time because of the the concerns about it being subjective. But they're starting to find that actually there's a lot that you can talk about in pain that is not subjective. Like neuropathic... Yeah, I think I just, your story is so big, but I do want to get up to what you're doing because it's so amazing. So you're basically in pain for 10 years, right? Is that sort of how your story goes? You're just... Uh, longer, longer. Well, um, so before you so, discovered cannabis. Yeah, so getting, how did you, how did the progress, how, did, the how does it go to, yeah, cannabis, yeah. The, the medications, I was on like 11 different medic, different types of pain medications from, you know, what's it called? Sarah, mom, what's the joint pain? It's an NSAID, Seraph, no, it starts with C. Celebrex. Sorry. I'm really lucky. I've been able to come off of a lot of these medications. I know. I I think this is the story of cannabis and this is what I want people to hear. And you have such an impressive professional background to work this together. I love the story. So you are on these medications going down the road. Celebrex, you know, muscle relaxers, antidepressants, anti-seizure meds. That's kind of the go-to actually for pain management for neuropathic disorders. And Again, like I say, they do kind of a half-assed job. And one of the big problems is the generation two, and I want to point this out, the, the second generation medications that are really anti-seizure, antidepressant, meant for pain. So the next generation post-gabapentin, these medications cause weight gain. And weight gain causes exacerbation of pain and makes it more difficult to manage pain because it makes you less mobile. And the less mobile you are, the more your pain kind of exacerbates. So these were not good things. The other thing is, you know, this is something that everybody knows about cannabis. Cannabis is wonderful for sleep. All of these medications that they put you on interrupt your sleep patterns. So if it weren't bad enough that you've got pain, you've now got also insomnia from both pain as well as the medications that you're on. It's a very challenging space. And, and, you're, and so, you're gaining weight and you're feeling uncomfortable in your own body in an extraordinary yeah. way. That's, but you're, yes. you're still working. You're working through all this. I'm working. That's right. I'm working at, you know, one of these top 10 international law firms in financial regulatory law, and then also at a a venture fund in-house doing operations and legal work. So these are very, these are stressful positions. You're probably one of the only women in the job, I assume, with the tech and finance part of this. Is that Highly, highly stressful. And of course, you know, as you know, as a lawyer, it's not always easy to get people to do what's in their own interest especially when you get into corporate. And sometimes there are conflicts between the interest of the organization and the interest of the actual person who's trying to run the deal. And frankly, the person running the deal is not your client and they don't get that, right? So you have to be protective towards, you know, the folks that you're supposed to be protective towards and sometimes even protect them against their own personnel who sometimes get cute about certain things. And they're like, I don't see why it's a big deal. And I'll show them like 30 years of financial history of lessons in law that we get to see on a regular basis that they don't get shown. Well, that's the beauty, that's shown a, that's the beauty the of being a lawyer. Wait, they hire yeah. you to fight. We're the fighters. And we know what's going to happen to you. We, we do it over we and over again. It's just, just we, we, do, we really so. do know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen because these things follow a pattern. And frankly, it's these are settled areas of law. Finance law is settled areas of law. This is not new. There's no reason to get cute about regulations. There's no reason to get cute about the law. So, so, you're, so you're, working this, you're working in this very stressful environment, finance yeah. tech. So had, is cannabis part of your life at any level now at this point? No. 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 Okay. So how, fact, does it, how, do, how does it come in? Who, who introduces in fact, you to it? <laughs> yeah. So actually my father, who is a neurologist in Georgia, he told me that it was ridiculous basically that I hadn't tried cannabis because I had tried 
umpteen gazillion things over the course of over a decade. I had done surgical releases for the nerve and, you know, actually some of them were effective and it was the ones that the doctors told me would be effective that were. And, uh, you know, of course, all of these ridiculous medications, which I weaned myself off of over various points of time. Like I took myself off of opioids actually with the help of my doctor, because it basically was saying, you know, this isn't helping me because it doesn't work for neuropathic pain. And it also doesn't work when you're not high from it. So like, what good is it to me as a young professional? And so they helped me come off of that basically over a two-year period. So what is it your father said to you in 2017 that made you convinced that this is something that you had to try? I, I mean, I don't, I never, I do not blame, I do not blame the medical industry at all in these industry no, in these situations, no, but the fact is they don't know. They just don't know. Not you have research. to be convinced. Yeah. So how did you yeah. figure this out and who told you and what was your next steps? So the research that my dad pointed me to was this metadata study of cannabis for pain management. And it was focused very specifically on neuropathic disorders. And he told me, you know, the metadata is not just promising, it's conclusive. It's very conclusive that this actually works for your specific type of neuropathic disorder. And Ashley, had you, you ever said that? Ashley, had he ever said that to you before uh, during the course no. of your pain? So was he no, thinking about and, this and for all these years? Yeah, he was okay. trying to help in a lot of ways. He was trying to help me with my medical regimen, but and that guidance was, of course, very important to my recovery. But at the same time, you know, he could see that I was struggling. We had talked about, you know, implants. I had done acupuncture, like I said, surgical releases. There was even so one you, point you, you, I was I mean, considering you, amputation, but they said yeah. it wouldn't work for the pain condition. So I, I don't. I'm just trying to like. I want to get to what you're doing now. So I want to get to the point. Wait, how did this? What did you happen? Like you left Georgia, but you went to California on yeah. your own. What did you do? So actually, I'm a naughty girl. I'm a naughty mm-hmm. girl, and I did something naughty. And my first time trying cannabis was in Georgia. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Well, I mean, there are moms out there who you know, are risking their lives to do this. So this is not really a joke, but I'm glad that you did try it in Georgia. Yeah, it's not a joke. And yes, it came from, you know, honestly, probably, you know, sources unknown. I'm not going to discuss it. Details but necessary, but you tried it. And what happened when you tried, I tried it? it? And for the first time in 11 years, I was actually pain free. Wow. Did you believe and it? was I, I cried, honestly, because oh. I never ever thought that I would get back to a level of not, I even cry now because I never thought that I would get that again. It's amazing. I, I, I The idea that, what did you take a hot, a hit or edible? How did you try it the first time or tincture? What did you try? Yeah. So I tried tinctures. I did. I tried edible and I found of course that I was overdosed on the edible and that was a very bad idea. 10 milligram edibles for a tiny girl who has it was still on medications, yeah. you know, not even thinking about how that metabolizes. Of course, like I always recommend people start at five milligrams and lower on edibles and just recognize that you have to wait. And um, actually, and can, then- can I, actually, that's a question I have for a lot of people. So they always say that dosing is this huge issue on cannabis, huge it's issue, a huge but problem. The, the other thing is that you are on a lot of other medications. So yes, you're on a regime of medications, but with cannabis, you almost have to know when your body needs to take it. So is this a curve you've had to get? through because you all of a sudden you did have that moment where it felt great I'm sure but then you had to practice for a long time to figure out exactly what it is that makes you feel pain-free how long did that that must have taken a while I assume well actually so indica is my strain okay I do not use sativa because I also have PTSD no kidding right and unfortunately I find that the activating parts pardon me PTSD from the accident 
from the injury? Uh, from yeah, from the extended nature of just the horrors that I dealt with. Yeah, okay. it was. It's very difficult to deal with, and a lot of people deal with PTSD who have had extended like uh, sequences of trauma or repeated traumas that they just can't they can't seem to get away from. And imagine living in New York and having one leg basically not working and having all kinds of assisted devices that you have to run around in your twenties and, you know, trying to navigate a city that is very unnavigable, like very difficult in general for people who don't have any disabilities. It's a walking city. Like what are you supposed to do when you can't walk? Oh. All right, so back to 2017. Is that how? Yeah, yeah what year are we at? 2017. We years to go. 2016. Okay. 2016 <laughs> um, and so you know, since it was effective, I became a medical refugee and I moved out to California. And you know, I'm a fintech person. I'm a financial lawyer. I'm into financial institution operations, and that's my background. And you know, I didn't initially think that I was going to do anything in cannabis when I first moved to California. I was exploring some opportunities and actually a friend of mine at Stripe was like, you should look at cannabis because they have a hard problem with banking and payments. And, you know, we can't support them because our banking partners say X. Oh, right? so this is the big part of the story, people. Just, I know it's, it's been amazing already, but <laughs> all right. So just so, so you're 2000 up there, you're actually getting help with your health issues. And I just yep. want to move into the next step. So I do talk about the finances of banking on the show all the time. I yep. am a podcast. I talk about cannabis. I talk to women. I do not sell it. I do not touch it. I could not get a bank account in Massachusetts in a legal state. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I finally got one because I got through a credit union and it's, I got a low fee checking account and it took me so long. I can't even tell you. So I've gone through this. The women in cannabis tell me every day how their payment processing, it gets shut down all the yeah. time. It's not yeah. even a question. So just talk about the problem. A little. Why. Yeah. So come, you know, from where you came from and to where you were also, and you're like, what is going on in this weird upside down world? Well, so, and I did, I, you know, my friend at Stripe talked to me about this and she was like, they're having issues with that. And when I started digging into it, I was like, wait, this is not a legal issue. This is a corporate policy issue, right? Because there's definitely legal ways to set up the program because of course, like our minds start immediately going to, all right, well, what's the legal way to do this? Right. And so I went through um, a process of basically gathering information on the space, gathering information also from financial providers about what it was that was challenging them and came to the conclusion that, oh, whoa, actually what's challenging them is that they need somebody with kind of my expertise helping them get through this. Wait, how do we do that at scale? And how do we help the industry. So, so our product, I'm going to start talking about the product a little bit now. I hope that's okay. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> artery, artery pay is holistic in the way that we've approached the cannabis industry, because we spent a lot of time making sure that we have reliable partners in place, that those partners know we're working with cannabis, that those partners accept working with cannabis and have negotiated those deals on those terms. But the other thing about our product that is so unique is we actually have all of the banking compliance that they have to do in terms of transaction monitoring built into the transaction system. So what that ends up doing is that takes the burden off of the bank to do all of that added compliance work because we can joint file to FinCEN. FinCEN is the crime enforcement division of the treasury. So that's the acronym that we use for it's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. 
but it's part of the Department of the Treasury, and it's a specific set of regulators that are the ones that gave us the FinCEN guidance that incorporated the Cole memo in order to be able to provide some sort of framework for for financial institutions that wanted to work with the cannabis space. And so, so we that, took that, that, that Yeah, that, I, I just want to cut it back up again. So anyone who doesn't understand what's going on in the banking world. They don't want to get into this partly because it's illegal federally, but it's also a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of paperwork. It's the expense. It's it's the expense of the additional paperwork because you have to do everything perfectly. Like if you don't do it right, you get in a lot of trouble and not everyone knows how to do it. And like I said about everything in cannabis, you have to, we have everything the real world has, but a little upside down and you have to work with a cannabis specialist. And this is the most specialized of specialists because we cannot create wealth in this country through cannabis small businesses, if we do not have paper processing, how are we supposed to make money if we can't bank? So this is so important. Yes, that's really critically important. And what people misunderstand about the payments industry is that the payments industry is reliant on their banking partners. They are heavily reliant on their banking partners. And so if the banking partners have not agreed to work with cannabis, and you can't confirm that they have agreed to work with cannabis through this processor, don't work with that processor. That's like the most basic of due diligence that you need to be able to do is who's the bank that you work with for processing these transactions. If they're an ISO, that's an independent sales organization, they should be able to tell you who the bank is that is processing those transactions. The other thing that they should be able to do is make an introduction to that bank for you to make sure that the bank knows that you're a cannabis industry professional that you have a cannabis business and that the processor that you're working with wants to help you with your cannabis business's payment processing. Now, this is one of the baseline things. And by the way, this is the reason why it has taken us four years to get to market. It would have been three years without COVID, but you know. But so, so are you approaching, that's what I'm trying to, your process, are you approaching banks that are, you think would work with cannabis? Are you just approaching banks that you already know are taking cannabis clients? How is your- It's both. It's both. We work both with cannabis banks that, you know, I just said cannabis banks. We work with cannabis banks and credit unions, of course. But we also are trying to get the banks in certain markets that really the cannabis industry could use their support, getting new banks and new credit unions to come into the space. And we do that by basically providing this tool. Now, this is the the compliance side of the transaction. So it's built into our transaction system where if they wanted to run all of their transactions through there, they could plug it into their bank, turn it on, and they would have to do nothing to run it. Nothing. Now, if they want it to be a specific compliance system that their compliance people use, then there's a little bit of retooling because you need to be able to feed in whatever their data is also into the system to process it. But it would go through the same process and we've systematized that. So there's automatic reporting on stuff. That is, you know, kind of a rote report that's just required, but is not complicated and can use a stock narrative. And then there are specialized tools in there to make it super easy to do the banking compliance side. I don't want to get too much into the weeds. No, no, no. I, I, don't, I, I don't really understand a lot of this, but I just it, understand that. It's people, not exciting, but, but, but we're people... taking a paper process and making it really intuitive, which no compliance provider has done. 
But that, so literally that, anybody can walk in and use the system. But that, that is sort of the, that's the, I think that's the missing link in this thing, especially yeah. for small, especially for businesses, small businesses who they're using their big fees and it's confusing yeah. and your payment processing gets shut down and they don't yeah. want to be connected to your And there's an end quotation marks, work around, a work around, get them something. There are no yeah. workarounds in finance. I cannot repeat that loudly enough. There are no workarounds in finance. If somebody says to you that they have a workaround, you should run away. I think that's going to be the title of your show, No Workarounds in Finance. So so this is sort of working backwards. So if you're a small business or a bank, who connects with you? Who do you work? Who okay. out to you? So yeah. we have a Venmo for cannabis. We have oh, really? a digital wallet that your consumers can literally pay you from. It does ACH process processing. It's ACH transactions. It's run through our bank partners who, again, are cannabis banks cannabis credit unions and it's very intuitive it's really easy to use this is modern fintech technology there's none of this janky stuff that looks like somebody's intern made it sorry <laughs> this is professional i say this all the time women are elevating the professionalism of cannabis and here is a perfect example of this because this banking issue is so weirdly complicated and she's stepping it in is. to help us so it thank is you. And four years of work on this prior to launch, because actually for a fintech to legally launch, it's going to take two years and you add cannabis in and it just makes it. So you're all over the country, all over the world. What are you? No. So, so payments is done on a state by state basis. Okay. Right. Payments has specific regulations on a state by state basis. And we're not playing any games with financial regulation because like, frankly, why would you add more scrutiny to an industry that has crazy amounts of scrutiny, right? I agree. And, and that's me talking about the cannabis side of it. You know, finance also has like heavy levels of scrutiny and providing any of these products, payment products without either an independent service, um, uh, sorry, an independent sales organization that declares, you know, clearly who their um, bank is that they work with or being a money transmitter, and that's, a, that's state by state payments, right? You need to be a money transmitter in every state that you go into, unless you have either an exception or an exclusion or an exemption. Okay. So we are doing this correctly. We're getting our money transmitter licenses in the states that we're required to have them because we're not messing around and Thank pretending you. to just be a tech platform. That's not true. If you're providing a service where your logo is in front of the consumer, you're an MSB, a money services business, and you should not be messing around. There are consumer protection laws as well as financial laws that go into these kinds of disclosures that are requirements for the financial space. I mean, you're not allowed to just basically white label everything and then and then just be like, oh, well, we've got our own brand, but we're not really moving money around. Well, yeah, you are. Right. So this is well, just, I'm just gonna... moving money around. No, you're this moving money This is such a woman thing. So I, you know, in the woman in the world of women. We have to be told 20,000 times that we can do something and that drunk guy in the bar decides he can be president. And you and all these people in cannabis, I think I don't know who these guys are who've just come in and think they're going to make a lot of money. And this That's exactly what happens. It's so hard. So I just love that you're talking about this. We can just talk do the about work. I mean, that's all it is. We're doing the work. And but so talk, you, but talking about doing the right thing. Yeah, but talking yeah. about the right thing in the right doing the right thing in the right way just it, it makes my heart happy. And you're a smart, intelligent woman who's in business with men and you're still doing things the right way. And well, to there are a lot of good right, yeah. men out there too. You know, there, I know there's a lot of, very there's a lot of men, men out there. They I do things. My team. <laughs> my team is great because like I sit there and pound my fist and they're like, all right, I actually don't have to pound my fist with them because like they get it. They understand they know that it. Like, this is not something where you can take shortcuts. You just can't. 
Okay. So I do say we should build this world and men can join us. I'm not really that done on men. Look, I have data. So, <laughs> but you, I know, but you're building, but I'm saying you're building it with your, we're building the world with these new rules and you're building it right. And I just, I think that's really commendable. So thank you. It's important. And we're very business friendly. We're like dispensary, business to business, like supply chain. We're very small business friendly in both our pricing and our contracts. Like this is no shenanigans. No, you are, you are, I think you're demystifying and modernizing the cannabis industry for the banking. I think that's really amazing. So I will got to take a moment right now. I want to thank our sponsor for today's show before we finish up our amazing conversation with Ashley Elsner, co-founder and CEO of Artery Pay. So you know how I say that cannabis has everything the real world has, but a little upside down? which means if you're operating in the cannabis industry or want to enter the cannabis industry, you need to work with a cannabis specialist. And Cannabis Creative is just that. Cannabis Creative is a full-service digital marketing agency that provides cannabis and CBD companies a suite of marketing solutions ranging from branding and web design to social media and email promotion services. And Cannabis Creative team has decades of experience in web design and development SEO, SEM, branding, social media, marketing, and content strategy. Cannabis Creative has a Boston-based team, which is majority female, yay, was co-founded by friend of the show, Josephine, and is landing in, is leading and representing women-founded and minority-owned cannabis and CBD businesses, including Blue Forest Farms, Pure Oasis, Sanctuary, Grow Generation, and so many more. And if that were not enough, Cannabis Creative won the Hermes Creative Gold Award for e-commerce web design, which highlights Cannabis Creative's extensive record in providing innovative digital marketing services to its clients, as well as the agency's deep understanding of the specific marketing needs of the cannabis industry. So if you want to increase dispensary foot traffic, boost your presence on the web, or elevate your online impressions, the Cannabis Creative team wants to meet you. You can learn more about Cannabis Creative at their website, www.cannabiscreative.com, where you can find a full listing of services, review their portfolio, or read one of their many insightful cannabis business blogs. And when you are ready to work with their team of cannabis marketing experts, remember to use the code CANAMOM for a free marketing consultation. All right, Ashley. Wow. Yeah. How much more can we talk about? We have, <laughs> well, I see. have more. I know I have so much more, but I only have a couple more minutes. So let's see yeah. artery pay. So I know COVID has been hard. Let's talk about what you, the year you've had and then what is happening in 2021. Sure. So obviously 2020 was really difficult. All the conferences got shut down. It was really hard to meet people. As we all know, cannabis is a very in-person business. It's not something that you, because of the advertising restrictions that actually Cannabis Creative can help you with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look at her plugging you. <laughs> Shout out. Um, the advertising restrictions are also on a state-by-state basis and make it really difficult for everybody to find each other. And there's been a number of platforms that have developed that have some network effects but that are starting, but they weren't in 2020. They really didn't have that network effect really yet. And, you know, frankly, I have to point out that it's not always the best place to get information from because there's a lot of paid for content, right? I, I, I hate to say it, but paid for content is sales. It's not really something that's educational, but it's being branded as educational and that's a little bit challenging to deal with, especially when 
as somebody who really knows like the financial laws and that intersection with cannabis laws and is really highly attuned to making sure that all the state programs are set up correctly so that they don't violate either cannabis or financial law. You know, it's very hard for me to read some of those and see some of the things that are coming out. Like, for example, there are still some folks out there who are claiming that they have a credit card processing workaround. I went to a dispensary in Nevada who did that. Yes. And I think we've all seen exactly where that gets you mm-hmm. um, from mm-hmm. what happened to a former Ease CEO, James Patterson. Let's talk about James Patterson. <laughs> right. And I, I hate to bring that up because I really, you know, honestly, like I don't want to shame people. I, you know, I don't want to shame any of the, the cannabis businesses doing this because frankly, how much can you keep track of? Right. Well, I mean, pay, pay, this is, I, I think everyone don't even know, like, what's the issue with credit cards and dispensaries and just yes. what, what's the real deal and what are we supposed to be doing? Okay. Okay. So the real deal with credit cards and dispensaries is, as we all know, because of the banking problem and because of what I just highlighted, payments is highly dependent on the banking industry. The banking industry that supports credit cards refuses to work with this space. So what am, who am I talking about there? I'm talking about the Wells Fargo's, the Chase, the Bank of America, the Capital One, the Citigroup. Any card that is currently in your wallet has somebody's brand on it. And it's going to be one of those large brands. The other brands that don't work with cannabis, of course, are all the credit card networks. Every single one in the United States has said flat out, we will not do this. And the reason why, again, is because their banking partners that are the issuing banks of these cards have not consented to work with cannabis. And no matter how you miscode, use pass-through entities, which only have the purpose, of course, of certain, you understand this because you're a lawyer, what you can't do, you can't do it directly, you can't do it indirectly. Using a pass-through vehicle is the same thing as trying to, you know, hire an assassin to kill your spouse, right? It's the same thing. (laughs) No workarounds in finance people. You're responsible responsible for it. It doesn't matter. The fact is it's the same thing. It's the same outcome. It's the outcome that is prohibited. And that's what people are misunderstanding. It is prohibited for you to use any card that is sitting in your work wallet right now for cannabis products. That's the problem. That's the problem. And in the United States, it's, it's, it's a cash industry, which is kind of a strange well, way to- that's the thing. Yeah. There are digital payment solutions like ours. Mm-hmm. ACH processing is fine. Wire is fine. Things that the banks are doing directly themselves is fine because like there's no underwriting cost to those transactions. There's no financial, there's basically no financial product that's been issued. It's just a direct transfer around. And so that's how artery pay works. We work legally within the bounds of law. We don't at this time provide credit or debit processing because it's not legal for cannabis, period. Stop halt. And we're not going to do anything that we think is going to put any of the businesses that we work with at risk. So do you think and that's if, um, the big problem? So is that the, it's, at the, it's at the federal level? I mean, if, if they change the marijuana level, if they change the cannabis laws at a federal level, that change the banking or is it a special banking? What has to change? Uh, again, <laughs> this is really a corporate policy issue and not a, really a legal issue. It's a policy um, issue. So, so they can make a decision at a corporate level that because it's legal in their state yes. or where they're incorporated yes. or whatever, they, uh, it could be just policy. So that, this is just yes. basically convincing people at that level that it's okay. Yes. And that's the thing you're in the big, like national federal banks, the ones that again, issue these cards, 
you're not going to be able to convince them that until you've had some version of federal legalization happen. Safe banking is not going to get it done. Hmm. Safe banking is not going to get it done. Because again, this is a corporate policy and not as much of a legal issue. And it's about, you know, trusting where the funds are coming from. And they don't right now. They yeah, don't. That, that is what I would hear. That's what I heard a lot when I was trying to get a bank account for the Cannamom show, where we yeah. talk about women in the emerging cannabis industry. Yeah. Wow. So I, I want to say mm-hmm. one last thing okay. about artery pay before we go, because oh, sure, you, sure, asked sure. Me, you asked me, you know, what states were available. Oh, right, and, right, right, right. Right. And so Massachusetts won. Um, we're getting transmitter mm-hmm. licenses in Oklahoma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll be there soon. We have a money transmitter license in Washington, so we can do business there. And we actually had a contract with the state of Nevada treasury to be their payment processing system for the cannabis wow. industry. And what we're doing out there, this is very interesting and kind of talks about the holistic nature of what we bring to the table is we're providing a cash digitization process that basically from the moment that somebody um, has a bunch of cash, they put it into the safe, it becomes identified. And that verification of source of funds makes it easier for the state to deal with it. And it also makes it easier to bank, right? You're tracking Reconciling the records. So we're not just tracking electronic transaction and verifying that we are which is much easier because like everybody's kind of a known party but we're also verifying cash for them and helping try to remove a lot of that cash burden that has happened there because again of the lack of banking access cash and it's It's really neat and that should come out this year all right this is what we need i I just i know this is the nerdy part of cannabis i like all that boring part i like talking to lawyers and insurance people but if we don't have this we can't have a business people we can't have yeah. a business so and we're going to be you know we're hoping to actually we will be in a very good position to open up on a nationwide basis probably by the end of this year Ooh, we'll be keeping people tuned but massachusetts i'm reaching out to you yeah <laughs> yeah we are we are committed to the states that we are in at this time new jersey just came online we're going to start working on our money transmitter licenses there that's coming okay. and so that's Basically, the process for that for us, because again, like I'm kind, I'm kind of an old hand when it comes to, when it comes to being able to do, you know, state regulator stuff. We're hoping to be able to do that relatively quickly in terms of the onboarding for the money transmitter licenses in those various states. And so we're gonna do, we're gonna do everything that we can to try to make this transparent, accessible, and do the right thing for cannabis businesses. Because honestly, we need you guys. Us patients can't live without you. So this is really important. Oh, you're doing it for both sides. Amazing. Well, thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. And um, I know this is just one more plug. I know you're home with your mom who you haven't seen. So she wants to say hi. She can. (laughs) She's still there. She is. She's doing a puzzle. Oh, so her mom. Don't interrupt the puzzle. Okay. My mom is also a physician. Oh, so. Ashley's, Ashley has two mom, two parents who are doctors and they support this journey she's on. So, so hi. hi there she is. Hi. Hello, Ashley's mom. Would you like to talk about your cannabis moment? Oh. Do you? No. Oh, we, we, could, we could go a little longer. I love <laughs> mother daughter. I love mother daughter stories. So what did she, how did she yeah. come? Did you well, come to cannabis? Uh, you know, I have had some orthopedic issues myself. I've had six knee surgeries, two shoulder surgeries. I have a, a total knee replacement on the left. And so I had some pain and difficulty sleeping regarding that. So what I did is I took my daughter with me to a dispensary. And I said, (laughs) which 
one shall I use? And she said, indica for pain, indica for pain, if you're using and it sleep. for pain and sleep. And she said, don't use the other stuff because it will jazz you up. We're, we're focused people already. So sativas are not really necessary for people who are as high energy as we already are. You need, yeah. you need to calm yourselves down. I get it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. We, we, we yeah. need to be able to focus. I, I took yeah, the bar pregnant, so I'm kind of high energy too. So I get that. You have to be able yeah. to think. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can't have something that messes with your mind. So you're good. So, so she. All right. So my own mother still doesn't believe me, but I'm happy to share this happy mother daughter story. Um, oh so yes. For my so yes. for my guest today, Ashley Elsner. If they want to reach you, how do they find you? So you can come to Ashley at arteriepay.com if you want to email me. Our website is www.arteriepay.com. We're also on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. And you know, you can feel free to reach out to us either through the website or to me directly. You know, I'm happy to talk everybody through these things, you know, I not only am interested in, you know, getting your business, but also in providing you with the right information um, because I just, you know, and you're a patient. So, you know, so, all right. So all that'll be in the show notes. It's always in the show notes for my can of road, David. Yes. Great job again today. Keep me entertaining. (laughs) Uh, Catherine, our can of mom show, social media guru. You're doing great. And we love to welcome Hayden to the team. You are doing a great job reaching out to other podcasters. Anyone who would like to connect with me, reach out. We're doing some cross promotions for the next couple of months. I want to thank Josh Lampkin and Bella Jaffe for writing and performing the can of mom theme music. But most importantly, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the can of mom show, where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the cannabis industry, one can of story at a time. Please follow the Canon Mom Show on social media and subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Canon Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.